Three good. 107-88. Kyle Lowry has 23 tonight. That's his third three. This is one of the nights that, you know, we knew Kawhi was a little bit limited, and uh, we had to come out and be aggressive for him. And the great thing about having him on your team is he still gets all the attention. And uh, we fit, we fed off of that, you know, drive, kick, swing. He gets in the lane, kick out, and, you know, we, that's the benefit of having a superstar like him on the team. We told you not to panic. We told you a series doesn't start until a team wins on the road, and technically, the series hasn't started yet. I didn't do that. All right, I didn't do it either, but our guests did. Raptors win, Raptors win, Raptors win. 120-102. They led it by as many as 25 in best of sevens, as I said, when tied 2-2. The team that wins game five wins 82% of the time. So really, it's a best of one, is it not? Because I don't know how confident I am for the Raptors to win a game seven on the road, but the Bucks have never been here before. And I think that showed true in game four. I'm Donovan Bennett. I'm here with JD Bunkus, voice you know well. He has his own show. Joseph Casario does not. I said your name wrong again, didn't I? <laughs> you did. Damn. Damn. One day. Man. Okay, One hold day. on. Can Wait. I try before you say it right? Because I wanted to see if I could remember today. Go ahead. Casario. Perfect. That was yeah. my second option. How about that? Listen, you've beat me in something. The Raptors beat the Bucks in basketball, they beat them in every phase of the game the biggest thing for me and it's been the key throughout the entire postseason is as much as it was nice the offense finally caught up defensively they got stopped forced 12 turnovers 17 points off of those turnovers and the bench joined the party not bench mob-esque but it felt a bit like last year where you got key contributors from the guys who didn't start the game i'll just start with this so fred van vliet has a kid and he credits the kid with the turnaround. What was he, five of six last night? All of a sudden, and Fred Van Vliet is three from three. Three of three from three. He looks like old Fred Van Vliet, where a wide open three with his feet set, and you're feeling really good about it. All of a sudden, he credits the kid. Donovan Bennett, do you feel like you got a bump after having your child just recently? Like, did you have a stretch of days at the office where you were a little bit better than you're normally accustomed to? You can't improve on perfection. Oh, so, a, no. You were never in a slump like Fred. So, yeah. no, I mean, I don't have any stakes that are as high as Fred does. Uh, one thing I will say is the resident father in the room. You're Jimmy yeah. Butler. You're yeah. the adult in the yeah, room. Yeah, I am. James Butler, actually. Yeah. One thing I will say, and when I heard those comments from Fred, the only thing I could connect to is your level of F's to give goes pretty much down like you just stuff that rolls off your back you just don't care like your perspective is different so listen he only missed one of his six shots and came with 13 points but the fact that he struggled leading into that if he did struggle early in this game i don't think it was going to impact him because he already was a father so i'm not sure why kid i like this though brought him over the mountaintop (laughs) but i like this theory but one thing about fred aside from the way he's playing that's the way he looks. Mm-hmm. We talked about in this very space that he didn't have that bet on yourself swag. That yeah, it like, looked like he bet on someone else this year. hundred <laughs> percent, right? He did that quiet confidence that he played with was lost. He was literally lost. And I think that was the biggest difference is that was back. And maybe that was the kid. Or maybe, you know, when they say people who are sick, they play better because they're like forced to focus more. Maybe there is something to that. But the guy who had the quiet swag, maybe a little I love too that much swag though. was Norm Powell. Norm Powell was on one last night. They needed him, though, right? Yeah, they like, needed him the last couple games, and he's, but, he stepped up. So my brother texted me this morning. He's like, 14 threes. That's what Norm had in that game, right? 
he texted me this morning. He's like, 4-13. He's like, that's, that's too much norm. And I was like, well, what was the alternative? Because Siakam couldn't get any offense going. Kawhi Leonard was clearly hobbled and was not his usual explosive self. He had some moments where, you know, he's chasing down some balls that he poked free where you thought, oh, Kawhi's fine. But I think it was one of those situations where the straight line speed is okay. It's the stop and start stuff that wears on Kawhi a little bit right now. But you have your two star players that look exactly like two guys that played a 50 plus minute game a couple of nights ago and maybe haven't fully recovered and are dealing with defenses just throwing everything at them. And here's Norm Powell, a guy that they had moments where they're sagging off of him at the end of the third quarter with no Giannis. You know, they're just giving him open looks. I thought Norm, they knew they were going to need to rely on some bench players in this series. And you saw it in game two when they were getting blown out. But the fact that he's been able to carry this over over the last couple of games fit into this series and provide them with a level of confidence where even when the team has looked tight in some moments, they've kicked it over to Norm and he hasn't played with it. And sometimes, yes, that's irrational. Sometimes it leads to driving at Giannis Antetokounmpo and thinking you're going to finish over top of him. Sometimes it leads to an off-balance three-point shot that maybe you should swing the ball a little bit more. But I don't think the Raptors are in this position without that confidence. And the Norm confidence has started to spread a little bit to the other guys on the bench. Yeah, well, the thing with Norm, too, when he was at his best, like when he broke out in the 2016 playoffs, 2017 playoffs, he was getting to the rim at will. And it almost didn't make sense because he's kind of undersized as a swingman in the NBA. And then he had two years where he basically either, obviously he didn't stop trying, but it looked like he almost stopped trying to get to the rim or wasn't capable of it anymore. And now all of a sudden against probably the best defensive, well, not probably, they were the best defensive team in the league. And they're also the best at taking the rim away all of a sudden he can get to the rim at will again, and he's mixing it in with pulling the trigger on, okay, maybe 13's too many for Norm, and you don't want him taking 18 shots in a game and leading your team in shots, but it worked last night. And in, just in general, what he's doing is something we really haven't seen from him in the last couple of years, and it's why he was so successful a couple of years ago, because he had that perfect balance of being able to take you off the bounce and get to the rim, but also be able to pull up and hit a three if needed. And you can get to the rim in transition. And right. you get transition when you get stops, which is something that they did early and often. And when you look at their bench, Powell, 18 points, 6 of 18 from the four or five boards. Ibaka, 17 points, 7 of 12 from the floor. 13 rebounds and 2 assists. Van Bleet mentioned, chipped in with 13 of his own. Their bench was the difference. But Milwaukee is really interesting, and we've talked about this. They are, in this era of people playing with great pace and getting up so many threes, they're like, yeah, Take those threes. We don't care. We're packing the paint. And so this is a series that's come down to, can you make uncontested three-point shots? And if you can, you win. And if you can't, you lose. But it's not like they're letting anybody take uncontested three-point shots. Norm, you want to take 13? Great. Siakam, you want to take nine in game one? Great. But we're betting that you're not going to be able to make enough of them. And in the first two games, their effective field goal percentage on uncontested shots, and they had 40 of them, was 47.5. Not good. In the next two, they also had 40. 61.3. Much better. So if you are willing to, one, take the shots, because they've turned down a lot of good ones early in this series, but make them, then, I mean, the series is pretty binary. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting there is that if you look at, I know a lot of people track like what's called effective shot quality Mm -hmm. and looking at basically the quality of the looks you're getting, who's getting them. And if you look at the tail of the series so far... They're pretty close, right? Pretty close, but the way it's kind of trending is that the Raptors are getting better looks mm-hmm. as the series goes on, and the Bucks are getting worse looks. Like, even in Game 1, when the Raptors controlled the majority of the game and Milwaukee needed that late comeback, based on, like, the shot quality chart, Milwaukee should have won that game by, like, 20. 
So it's actually gone down for them and gone up for the Raptors. And I mean, I don't know, maybe some of that is luck, but it could also be a little bit of the Raptors solving them as the series goes on, whereas Milwaukee seems to be running out of answers at the same time. Well, what's the only real chess move that we've had in this series? Put Kawhi on Giannis. Yeah. I think this matches the eye test because to me, going into the series, I think we talked about it, all three of us. It was like, it was a pace battle and it was a style battle. I said it was like a boxer where the Raptors wanted to ugly it up that they probably overall had a little less skill, they had a little less speed, they had a little less depth, and they needed this series to be a little ugly. If Milwaukee is running and they're taking shots early in the clock, the evidence is they get good looks and they're knocking down those looks. When Toronto gets them in their half-court defense, they've been super effective. And Milwaukee's offense is like, I think I saw it the other day, Zach Lowe had a column where he was pointing out that, and I don't know how this has changed, but going into game four, I think they were 80 points per 100 possessions. Like, it was just something ridiculous in their half-court offense. It's been terrible for them. So... Toronto is maybe getting better looks, but I think that was kind of always going to be the case because Milwaukee's going to concede a lot of those chances from above the break in the three-point line and those long twos. They're just saying, hey, listen, Serge Ibaka, you want to beat us with that pick-and-pop move where you're going to shoot that 18-footer? Like, we're good with that. Marcus Gasol, same thing. You shoot a three, we're fine with that. We're going to bank on you missing and breaking the other way. And all of a sudden, the Raptors are hitting those shots. They're setting up in their half-court defense. And I think this style of play... This way, the Raptors have gotten it over the last couple of games, this ugly way. And it's the reason why they were in game one, too, and probably should have won it. This is how they win. Like, they're not going to be able to do it if they are missing those shots because it allows the Bucks to get out and transition, and they look awesome. All of a sudden, all their shooters are deadly. All of a sudden, Giannis, like early in that game with those two turnovers, like Giannis in the first quarter versus Giannis later in the game, when you let him run, you're dead. There's nothing you can do once he's running and moving at full speed. There's no Kawhi Leonard or Pascal Siakam that can slow that down. And when all the help comes, all those shooters are around him. It's a really tough thing to stop. So I'm not surprised that the Raptors are getting better looks. Their defense looks incredible. And I think that this is what you have to hope for, is this continued decent amount of shot making, just enough to keep Giannis from running, just enough from keeping those shooters getting open looks. I think you also, if you're a Raptors fan, you have to hope that Mike Budenholzer does not adjust and take Bledsoe out of the oh. starting lineup because so I early in the series like I after could read game your line saying that like let Bledsoe touch the rock let's go Bledsoe after game one I was convinced that Malcolm Brogdon was going to start for Miritich at some point in the series because that was the lineup they mm-hmm. had great success with most of the season until Brogdon got hurt now I'm thinking that if there's a change it's going to be Brogdon in for Bledsoe and Bledsoe might get benched because if you look at you know everyone talks about 50 40 90 shooting you know Bledsoe shooting this series 24 10 69 like <laughs> this guy's putting up ridiculous numbers and in the worst possible way and the thing is like you talk about why Milwaukee's so dangerous it's because of Giannis's penetration surrounded by all that shooting but Bledsoe is not the kind of guy you have to worry about as you a shooter and that's why the Raptors are daring him to shoot if you replace that with a Brogdon, all of a sudden that job becomes a lot harder, right? It's another shooter you have to account for. Bledsoe's also not doing that great of a job on Lowry. Lowry's having a fantastic series. He's averaging 20 points a game on good efficiency. So it sounds weird to say because Bledsoe, obviously, he's a good player. He's just not having a great series. But in this matchup and the way the Raptors you know, have to guard Milwaukee, I think if there's a chess move for Budenholzer to make, it's probably getting Bledsoe out and getting some more shooting in with a guy like Brogdon. But even if he's out, he's like, he only played 20 minutes last night. He still killed them. I don't know. Maybe he can get it going off the bench, like against a guy like maybe. Fred or something. Maybe. It, it would make sense to match his minutes with Fred. If right. You're just making this solely on what's the right play. But taking Bledsoe out of the starting lineup, even though he's not playing meaningful minutes, as JD mentions, that's a lot easier to do if you're willing to have Giannis guard Kawhi because Brogdon outside of Milton who's seen 
Kawhi Brogdon. most. It's been Brogdon. And clearly, you're not guarding him with one guy. It's a team concept. But if you've got Brogdon solely on Lowry for long stretches, basically it's Middleton, and now we're just doing a pick and roll to get Middleton off of him. And he's being guarded by Ilya Sova and Miritich, and that's not a recipe success for them defensively. And I actually think they made a mistake last night. Kawhi was Kaiser Soche last night. Like, he did not have it. His jumper was flat. When he got to the rim, it was on backdoor cuts where Marcus Gasol had to, like, head nod him to get to the basket. I love it, those plays, by the way. Those are the highlight moments of the game for me. Yeah. If I'm Coach Bud and I'm recognizing this, I'm like, why are we sending help to him? He's baiting us into it. Let Giannis guard him by himself, who's physically longer, stronger, faster at this point. And we're staying home on everybody else. Now how are you creating offense? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of Bucks media were talking about this after the game yesterday. Even if you follow any, like, Bucks bloggers or anything, they're all going nuts about it. And someone actually asked Bud about it. What do you mean it. by a lot of Bucks media? Like, is that four people? Like, let's it's, be honest here. I'm not trying to take pretty, shots. They but travel pretty yeah, deep. I was watching their post game, and it was, year. like, one guy from some station over and over and over again. Well, they're, it's a team for an entire state. So yeah. at this time of year, they're, right. they're traveling I, heavy. I, I just didn't see them. I saw Sirit sitting with the Bucks there, media. I, I, there's uh, like local news crews. Yeah, that are yeah. This, right. is, this I, is big. I, right. I had to hold one of the local news crews, Mike, in the scrum with Giannis yesterday because I was like nice at the guy. edge you of it. Traitor. And she's like, will you, will you hold this? And I was like, all right. <laughs> You're a nice guy. Um, but no, someone asked Bud about basically whether they can continue to yeah. do this, load up on Kawhi and just leave at least one Raptors shooter open at all times. And, you know, Bud said the usual coach's cliche thing about they get a look at film and decide what to do but it's he's, true like he's pretty stubborn though yes well he's this was terry only, stott's this light. was the knock on bud in atlanta and this was what everyone was worried about when they lost game one to boston mm-hmm. was oh no bud's not going to make an adjustment and bud even came out and said no we got 60 wins playing the way we're, we played we're not going to change the difference then i think was that they sensed a bit of fool's gold with the celtics in that game one loss in the second round I don't think much of this with the Raptors is fool's gold. The Raptors can play with them. They probably have the best player in the series. Like you're going to need to adjust, but I hear you on the Bledsoe adjustment and bringing in Brogdon. And I actually like that because I think Brogdon is fine running their offense. They want to get out and transition. Like I said, anyways, in the first place, it's not like they're half court offense. They're going away from something super effective. It's not like Bledsoe's ball handling or him touching the ball is something that it's like, Oh, what are we going to do without the Bledsoe ball handling? Every Raptors fan is cheering when the ball swings over to Bledsoe and he starts attacking the paint, you're like, yes, this is what you want. This is the ideal possession. But defensively, like I know they're overloading on Kawhi Leonard, but I don't think that there needs to be that much of adjustment. If I'm the Bucks, I'm just saying, okay, they got one on us where these bench players came out. And we've discussed the three bench lineup a billion times throughout the postseason and how it hasn't been effective. It hasn't been effective. And there was one moment in that game, I think it was the second quarter, when the three-man bench unit was playing together. And... It was like an 8-0 run or a, a 10-0 run. And all of a sudden, Matt Devlin's like, the bench is plus 16. And I was like, oh my God, I'm dreaming. I fell asleep. I missed the game. And this is a dream because there's no way that this is happening. I just think if you're Bud, I would rather continue to see if the bench players can kill you, especially in those sets, and continue to throw Middleton and Brogdon the way that they have at Kawhi. Because even when all of a sudden Giannis is defending Kawhi. I'd hate that if I'm a Bucks fan. All of a sudden he has to travel out of the paint and now you give the opportunity for the Norm Powell's to get to the basket, for Gasol to post somebody up, for Siakam to insert himself into the series, for Kyle Lowry to do that like dribble through where sometimes he gets fouled. 
That's the nightmare for me is the overreaction. Like, let the Raptors bench prove it a little bit more before we start adjusting and gaming up things for Norm Powell. Well, uh, a little bit more is one loss away from saying goodbye to your season. Like, well, if the numbers are trending in the direction that Joe has mentioned. And you think they it's lost, that dire, though? I mean, they lost two games straight for the second time this year. I agree that the big question is, and we are going to see how confident Bud is in his schemes and in his rotation because the Raptors bench killed them. 48 points last night to the Bucks, 23, seven threes to the Bucks, two from their bench. Six Raptors had 13 or more. But coming into game four, the Bucks bench averaged 43 points. The Raptors averaged 26. We know that the bench doesn't play as well on the road. Not the Raptors bench, any bench. Mm-hmm. It's the case for the Bucks coming to Toronto. It was the case for Toronto going to Milwaukee. So if Bud says, okay, well, things are going to revert back to the mean in terms of our support players when we're at home and we have two games at home, We'll see if he's confident, but if they lose game five and they have to come back to Toronto and then win at home in game seven, that's a totally different equation. I think the pressure totally has shifted to Milwaukee. So we'll see if he makes an adjustment because to this point he hasn't had to, but what would you want to see? But the thing with me is like, I don't even think he necessarily has to adjust the way they're guarding in general, but it was that. I think to Donovan's earlier point, like they should have adjusted in game yesterday. Yes. Like, what do you think Kawhi's faking? Do you know to bait you into this? Like, he's clearly hobbled, right? Like, you saw it on that dunk on Giannis, and even he wasn't getting to the rim the way he usually does. He just didn't have the same burst. And yet, third quarter, early fourth quarter, whenever it was, they're still like doubling him. There's still times when he had three guys on him, and there's just open Raptor shooters along the perimeter. At some point, you have to be able to make an in game adjustment. You know, and tell your team, look, we'll go back to our regular defense in game five. But right now, Kawhi Leonard's not his usual self. I don't need three people forming a wall against him and leaving Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol open for three. His first basket didn't come until midway through the first quarter, like six minutes in. Like, he wasn't being aggressive offensively. He was at times just standing, watching. Even when he had separation, he wasn't looking to the rim the same way. Like, earlier in the Sixer series, he was looking for a reason not to shoot the ball. Yeah. And that wasn't the case coming off of pin downs and screens. The guy that should have been concerned about at the first TV timeout was Kyle Lowry. They were going to wall anybody. It was him because 12 of their first 24 came from him. He was the guy who was aggressive and really was a straw that was stirring the drink for them. I want to say one more thing about Kawhi, though, and the way that Bud handles him and why I'm not as critical of Budenholzer for not making that adjustment. And that's the one thing about Kawhi Leonard that I think that you can it's not even a criticism it's just an observation like he's clearly not the playmaker that other superstars are he only had one assist in that game he was moving the ball more and I think Nurse pointed out in the post game that didn't really tell the true story of Kawhi because he was more selfless he was moving the ball more in that game just ends up with the one assist but when you do overload him in those times I found that he can be a little late to moving the ball and sometimes those are when you see Kawhi's worst shots where he's going into a double and he's trying to force up a play where he's just trying to score it and you're getting a turnover and you're getting off a transition or he's forcing a long two, it's bouncing off the rim and again, you can push out and transition. And if I'm the Bucks, the more long twos I can get that are contested, that's everything we want. How can we force these shots? And to a certain degree, there really isn't a large sample size of Kawhi Leonard deciding like, hey, I'm going to move it here. Oh, the double's coming. I see it early. I'm skipping this across to somebody else. Like, Bud has mostly won on that. But that, like even that, when Kawhi is hot, and even when Kawhi killed them in that double OT, like it's not as though this is the efficient Kawhi Leonard that we were used to, you know, a few games ago. But that's the point is that he wasn't forcing shots. He only took five in the first half. He only took sixteen in the game. Yeah. So the fact that he got nineteen points off of sixteen, 
was not bad efficiency. The point was you were double or triple teaming wide receiver who wasn't running routes. But they're, like, not, that's what you're but they're doing. not doubling him when he doesn't have the ball, right? Like he's getting the ball, he's getting into his spots, and they're just saying like either we want to see if he'll take that shot. And it worked a couple of times. There was one shot that Kawhi had where that little scoop where he's just trying to like go up and under from somebody and he just throws it up and he's got wide open Fred Van Vliet, who again is three or three from three, just like right behind him wide open. Like that has worked to some level of effect. I just, I know I sound like a Milwaukee Bucks radio over here, but I don't think you can kill Budenholzer in this game so much for letting the bench get going. Like the bench was just unbelievably hot in that game. And to me, the big moment was when Giannis was out of the game in that third quarter and you looked and said, it's a seven point lead. What are you going to do now with Giannis off the floor? And all of a sudden they stretched it to 12. He came back. The Raptors had confidence. They kept rolling. The game was done. It was out of reach. They never gave it back. They were down 25. Like if you're not going to make an adjustment down 25. Yeah, but by the time point, you're down 25, you- you're done. Like it was over. Well, but he didn't call off the dogs. He was still playing his rotation of guys. I, I'm just saying, Fred Van Vliet's shooting 20% in this series uh, from three. He's 25% from the floor. All of a sudden, he's knocking down open shots because, you know, maybe you're doubling a guy too much. I think if you're a coach, you live with that and you say, let's see you do it on the road, Fred. We're going to keep doubling the one guy that we know is effective. You know, I, I don't get benched or, or, you know, they still throw the ball to me in, in certain spots and guys are standing in your corner. That's what means the most. And, and to have the respect and, the, you know, have the, the guys who mean the most to you in your corner it allows you to, to keep focusing and keep pushing forward. And you can say the same thing for Marcus Gasol, who yep. was much better last night and in the last two games has been much more aggressive offensively. But if you've now woken those guys who were dormant for the first two games, and now you have a problem on your hand. Like, you know, the house is on fire. It's a little too late to call the ambulance. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you call the ambulance or the fire department? Yeah. If there's, well, you do. Paramedics too late. Para- paramedics no, coming. If, if you're bud, you call the you call <laughs> yeah, the ambulance. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you had mentioned Lowry. I wrote about this this morning. Like Lowry steadied the ship mm-hmm. last night. The Bucks and Giannis, in particular, after that terrible game three performance for himself, he came out like looking for blood. He was into it. He was getting to his spots. He was getting to the rim at will. It was 12-5. I know it's only a seven-point lead, but it was 12-5, like two minutes and 50 seconds into the game. Giannis was flexing. Kawhi, you could already tell, wasn't moving the way he usually did. Like, it looked dicey early. It looked like the kind of thing where they were a couple swings away from being down 15, just out of the gate, and it was Lowry who really steadied the ship. He hit one three. Then I think there was a play where Green didn't look ready to shoot, got Mm -hmm. it back to Lowry. It was like a terrible angle from the corner, and he made it. He got a charge at one point. It was an incredible stretch, and basically the Raptors, they called that first timeout less than three minutes into the game, down 12-5. And within two minutes and one second of game time after that, Lowry had 12 points and the game was tied. Yep. And that is just an unbelievable swing in a game like that because the crowd was back into it, and all of a sudden you're like, all right, we got a game, it's fine. Those are the kinds of things, again, you know, this time he did it with his scoring as opposed to the little things, but just another example of, like, Kyle Lowry being the guy that kind of steadies the ship and all of a sudden everything's okay. I thought he was the best player in the first half. I thought he was the best player in the game. Yeah, it just the first half, though, you're really ringing that out because it did feel like, oh, my God, they can let this game get away from them. It was a little bit of shades of game two where the Bucks get going, uh, guys are getting involved, Giannis is running, and they can just be an avalanche on you. And it's tough for me ever to look at plus minus the same way again, because at the end of the first half, Lowry was a minus three. And I was like, yeah, oh, this is going to be tough to make a case for this stat ever again. I've been very critical of Kyle Lowry. <laughs> I like how you always have to, whenever you talk about Kyle Lowry, you have to preface it with that. Cause well, it's so cause true. I, I don't want to just jump on the Lowry bandwagon and act what like I haven't it? crushed what, him. What year was it when you wrote that piece that went viral? It was going into his you that piece? free agency. No, what was his piece? Donovan wrote a piece. Like, I, stand, I stand by it. He was like, hey. 
take a hike. Kyle Lowry. Oh, no, no, come on, that. man. <laughs> I think it was nine reasons. Nine reasons why the Raptors should trade Kyle Lowry. Yeah, sorry. Instead, inst- not take a hike, Kyle Lowry. Here's nine reasons why you should take a hike, Kyle Lowry. Inst- no, instead of trading him, and much of it was looking at historical data about point guards and how they aged him, having injury issues to start with. At the time, and if I knew they were going to sign him for much less than the max, at the time, he wanted to be a max player. He was an all-star. And my thought process was very clear. Steph Curry's coming up in the same offseason. He's going to make 40 mil a year. Lowry can't make that much because he's not a super max guy. But if you are paying him in this stratosphere of Steph Curry under the same cap, he is older with now a worse injury history. You have to win at every other position, at every other decision that you make in terms of your finances to beat the Warriors because that's the goal. So move off him because I did not think paying him $30 million a year made sense. Now, he didn't get that money because mm-hmm. guess who agreed? The rest of the league. Well, he got, he got the 30. He just didn't get yeah. it over a four-year. He didn't he get got it for three. He, yeah. Yes. He didn't get it for four or for five. Yeah. So we'll see. But also, I will say, if they could have, they would have traded Kyle Lowry last offseason. Like, Kyle Lowry's a Raptor right now. Wait, stop slandering Kyle Lowry. You were saying I'm not trying, on the like, I was get trying, off, get off it. I was, try, I was actually trying <laughs> to give him some yeah. love. Yeah. Well, yes. I'll, I'll go the opposite way then and give this hot take. Kawhi Leonard's the best singular talent the Raptors have ever had. Kyle Lowry's the greatest Raptor of all time. Yeah. That's what I believe. I believe that I, as well. I believe he has been most impactful to winning in this franchise's history. If they make it to the finals, I don't even know how you could possibly even my, push back on Am I never getting that. an invite back on the well, show? No, but no, like, what's, what's the case against I'll, it if they make a finals and he's had the Eastern Conference final that he's having right now? I mean, we could just watch film of the Wizards series. I mean, that would <laughs> sure, be but one series. What's the case? DeMar DeRozan, the, the guy that got benched last year against the Cleveland Cavaliers and they're like pivotal games? Is it Vince Carter who was here? Like, there are people who will say it's Vince Carter. I'm not saying I'm one of them because I don't forgive God, I people can't who have we got bad sucked into this speech, uh, debate joke. I was trying to Damn say that, that, that as much <laughs> as I like hate... We ended up in Raptors trope 101. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's... We're it's like, the Raptors get enough respect from the U.S. media. That's next. Well, it's funny because if you said to people in the newsroom or just walked out on the street, first Raptors player to whatever the honor, jersey number retired, statue outside the building, whatever... Who's it going to be? I think some people would say Vince Carter. I think some people would say Kawhi Leonard based off of this spring alone. <laughs> I'm not, honestly. I'm not doing I'll, I'll build really? it. You don't, no. you don't think some people would build the statue? No, of I'm, I'm well, I'll doing commission murals. it, man. Yeah. There you go. So you have one in this room. Look. I think lost in the shuffle because of that, because of those two highs, are Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Because they had moments that were meh. I'll just say this. My opinion on it is that it's kind of like the Raptors fan IQ test to me. If you ask somebody who is the better Raptor, DeRozan or Lowry, and they give you the DeRozan answer, I'm already like, yeah, I'm out. It's clearly Kyle Lowry to me. I mean, DeRozan was drafted by the franchise. Sure. Some people's matter. Sure, he was. And I, Kyle Lowry was almost a Nick. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot True. of ifs. Like, You're lot. welcome for sending us down this rabbit hole, by yeah. the way. Anyways, yeah. let's get back I, to Lowry. I, I blame you. No, but Lowry, I crushed him in his playoff performances or lack thereof in the past, but now... 25 points, six assists, playoff games. He's got six of them, which is franchise record. He has showed up massive in as many, if not more games than he hasn't showed up in. And so I think when you're looking at the aggregate, that matters. So I will walk off of my Kyle Lowry shrinks in big moments take. He's continuing to prove me otherwise. It's funny, though, because he actually has been really, really good for the last couple of playoffs. Like if you look at the splits of the first two years with the Raptors versus since... He's basically normal Kyle Lowry in the postseason the last few seasons. 
but I don't know if it's just a fan projection, but you always kind of feel it was there. Like he has that incredible game one. And when they end up losing it, I had this horrible feeling of dread that they had wasted this Kyle Lowry performance and you're just never going to see a close replication of that. And he was hot in that first game. He was awesome in that first game. His numbers are probably like, if you look at his efficiency, just because of the shooting, they're probably better. But I'm with Joe. Like I thought last night, Lowry was the best player in the game. And it was his best player in a series where he's already had a game that he was, what, five of seven at one point from three against the Bucs and just single-handedly carrying them. He's so important to everything this team does. And, like, if we're looking at, you know, why the Raptors' secondary players got involved, and I know that some of it is just them playing in units by themselves, essentially, and being asked to do those things. But another part is that I just, I don't think there's another Raptor that has a sense of the moment in terms of getting other people involved quite like Kyle Lowry. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Serge Ibaka's numbers go through the roof when he's with Kyle Lowry. And that all of a sudden you feel a different level of confidence when he catches a pass from Kyle than anybody else in that spot 18 feet away from the basket. Like Serge catching a pass from Fred 18 feet from the cup for a jump shot is not the same thing as when he catches it from Kyle Lowry 18 feet for a jump shot. He knows he has a feel for his teammates. He has a feel for the game. He knows how to survey the floor. He always comes up with those big moments defensively that I think like motivated seems like who's taking a charge from Giannis Antetokounmpo like that? Like who's so willing When's the last time we've ever seen a point guard who's as willing as Kyle Lowry to take charges from monsters? I just think that he has an effect on his teammates that is unquantifiable even when we can quantify what a great game he's having. I haven't checked it in a couple of days, but I'm assuming it's still the same where he's leading, you know, leads the playoffs in charges drawn oh, yeah. and loose balls recovered and he was tied for first in deflections. Like he makes those yes. plays. You talk about Ibaka. So much of Ibaka's offense this year was the pocket pass from Kyle Lowry. Yep. And I'm at a point where I don't know if anyone in the league, any guard in the league dishes that pocket pass as crisply as Lowry does. He's he's not the scorer he was at his peak, but I think he's still capable of it in... You mentioned Lowry having a, a sense of the moment. Yeah, I don't think anyone else on this team has a sense of urgency that he has, and maybe it is a little bit of him kind of smelling the roses and realizing this oh, might yeah. be his last best chance, but he's just had this different vibe about him. It's almost kind of like eye of the tiger type of thing that you can tell he really does just seem to want it more than everyone else, and Anytime they've needed him in these playoffs, like to really step up and change a game or a series, he's been there. He has the bad game one against Orlando and everyone's killing him. And game two, within the first six minutes of the game, you could be like, all right, Kyle clearly looks different tonight. And they win that game. He had that game in game four against Philly to start that game on the road. Like last night, again, steadying the ship. It's just, sure, you'd want it every game. But I mean, it is what it is. He's not that guy anymore. He's older. He's not that level of star or superstar where you can count on him maybe seven times in a seven-game series to give you 20-plus. But when you need it, I feel like he still is able to summon it. I think the $1.4 million roster bonus he gets if they continue to advance would be part of the reason why he has that You can't even stop slandering him for a second. Hey, like, I don't, he's just a greedy I don't, I don't, I don't blame no, him. That's, that's great. That's, no, I neither do I. That's great negotiation. Uh, the other thing I, I think love, it's the past thing. Like, I think it's that he's been through this and he knows that this is their shot. Like, he can get to a finals and well, he's one of the more underappreciated he, guys ever. Honestly, he is. I know that people think Raptors fans... One of the fans, most underappreciated guys ever. Yeah, if you yeah, look at his I'd, numbers... I'd probably agree with that, he's, man. He's yeah. been to five All-Star games. I know, but that's the thing. He's appreciated in his market. He gets All-Star game votes online. And also, there hasn't been exactly well, wh- a... Where cap- do you think they come from? Just Toronto? I, I do. Well, and he got the coaches vote, I think, three of those five times. Yeah, so but, this is it. In terms of, like, underappreciation, I think he's kind of the guy that... When you mentioned that people see him at the All-Star game, they're like, Kyle Lowry again? What does Jimmy Butler call him? Like, they call him still Fatso, or they call him Chubbs. Yeah. Like, there's just this underwhelming aspect to him. Like, he's not a huge guy. 
He doesn't have a game that you really say like, oh, that's the thing about Kyle Lowry's game, unless you watch him all the time. But every year, year over year, you look at all of his numbers, his PER, his efficiency, his scoring, his shooting. He's been one of the best point guards in the league and in probably the league's strongest point guard era. Like, that's why I think he's underserved to a certain degree. And this isn't, again, now we are hitting the notes. Like we did the who's greatest Raptor and are the Raptors underrated, but I do think that Kyle Lowry, if he can get to an NBA Finals and you get to see him next to Steph Curry, who right now is the best point guard on the planet, it is going to be kind of that moment where, oh, right, you belong here. Like, you belong with the best. You fit in a series with the Warriors. And that's something kind of he's always missed because there's always been this, the Raptors have a fraudulent nature to them because they keep getting bounced by the greatest player, arguably, of all time. Like, he knows it. You look, like, completely confounded because you mean, just hate Kyle Lowry so much. No, I don't hate him at all. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I wouldn't say... In a series with Steph Curry, that means you belong here. It's, it's the stage. It's against Steph. It's all of those things. I mean, Steph's numbers against him are not kind to him. Well, who's, Kyle, who's Kyle's had some big games against Steph. Yeah, that's too. true. That's yeah. true. I was going to say, who's? let me see the board of who's <laughs> just killing it against Steph Curry. Like, there's some guy out there. Is it, Who is it? Ruben Patterson. Remember? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some stopper out there, some but weird Ruben Patterson. Is he an acquired taste? Yes. Is he underappreciated? I don't know if that's true. Like, is Kyle Lowry a Hall of Famer? He's getting close. Listen, man, if they get to the finals here or if they find a way to win a chip. Dude, Mitch Richmond is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, which is a joke. Like, but if they find a way to win one and you're looking at a guy who's going to have it. That's, that's a big if. It is a big if, but I'm just saying if they do and they're six wins away, obviously six very big wins away, but still, if they get one or he ends up somewhere else and ends up with one at some point before he calls it quits and he retires with five all-star appearances uh he has i think two all nba or one all nba selection which isn't that much so five all-star he's got at least one all nba he'll be in a very rare breed of superstar that has an olympic gold medal and an nba championship like those things do add up he'll have longevity he'll have been on like a playoff team for a very prolonged period of time i don't think he'd be a lock by any stretch but i think he's a title away from like being squarely in the conversation. But that title is still a big piece of that. Like, we're talking about it right now. Like, Chauncey Billups, we look at him differently because he's Mr. Big Shot because he not only won a title. Well, Kyle Lowry's been way the, better than Chauncey but Billups. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. That's the like, thing. Don't like, compare him to Chauncey Billups. Career trajectories, like, Kyle Lowry and Chauncey Billups had very similar careers, except Kyle Lowry has actually arguably done it longer. Like, Billups' mm -hmm. prime was very condensed. And this is kind of goes to the point of Lowry being underappreciated is that. Like, we're talking about Billups, and, but I think he will get in. And I think Lowry's career compares very favorably to him. Again, he's got to get that title. And again, even... even Except from the title. fact that he has yet to win a championship, has yet to win a final okay, MVP, but, and has yet to have the nickname Big Shot. But, okay, <laughs> but this is part of the thing, right? Like, Chauncey got that nickname, and yes, he had very clutch playoff moments, but this almost plays to what we're saying about how underappreciated Kyle Lowry is because if you talk to people about Kyle Lowry in the playoffs coming into this year and they'd kill him and then you look at his playoff numbers the last two and a half years basically mm -hmm. going back to like the second round in 2016 and they were awesome. So basically people were have like this mindset of Kyle Lowry in the playoffs based on a first round loss to Brooklyn when he wasn't even that bad five years ago and one horrible series against Washington Four years in ago. In which afterwards, he completely reinvented his yeah, body like, and dedicated himself to training. Like, I know it's the whole athlete, like, you should have already been training kind of thing. But, like, Kyle Lowry did rewrite his own legacy there. Yeah, look how quickly the internet jumped to making fun of Kyle Lowry. 
He, with the like, he's plus lot, 11 memes. And he's the, a lot closer to a Hall of Famer than he is to a playoff joker. And I think that he's better than Chauncey Billups. And it's tough for me to see the case where he is not better than Chauncey Billups. Like, you really think that you drop it's Kyle Lowry the on those? That Billups has. Sure, like, but you I, drop to me, him the ring on those Pistons okay, games and Andre, you think there's a drop-off? Andre Iguodala, to me, is a Hall of Famer. Here's, he is, yeah, of course. Because yeah. of, no, the rings that he has and what he's done to get those rings. And but, so if Kyle Lowry gets a ring and does Kyle Lowry things to get the next six but wins. But this is basketball. Like you go up in eras where you're facing Michael Jordan, you're facing LeBron James. Like you, not everybody sure. just gets a ring. And no, here's yeah, the I get that. And if you are a clear ballot hall of famer, like John Stockton, then there isn't an argument. Yeah. But if you're a guy on the margins, like a Andre Iguodala or a Kyle Lowry or a Chauncey Billups, then the ring does matter. No one's saying Big Shot Bob would be in the Hall of Fame if he didn't hit a bunch of big shots and win a bunch of rings. Like, for those guys, it does matter because it's what your legacy is. Yeah, I don't know, man. Two things can be true. Like, he can be overappreciated to a certain degree in this market, but underappreciated overall. So you think without a championship, Kyle Lowry's a Hall of Famer? I think he's, I think he's at least, he's in the, he'll be on the ballot. He'll be in discussion. Again, it's the Listen, NBA so Hall of yeah. Fame. So it's, you can, the, it's not baseball. So you baseball. can write the history of the game of basketball. But buddy, who goes without, to, you can't write it without Kyle Lowry. Can you write it with, with, without Mitch Richmond though? Well, like again, yeah. there's, this, that's, he's the one guy. I, no, he's a not. Guys. There's a bunch of guys in the Hall of Fame where you're like, uh, excuse me. Like every year somebody gets in, like. To me, Tracy McGrady, to me, was borderline. He, his resume is... But this isn't the Donovan Bennett Basketball Hall of Fame. It's what the Hall of Fame has already done in Springfield, and they've let in certain guys that have the similar resumes to Kyle Lowry. Like, honestly, like once you let Mitch Richmond in, you basically said, hey, if you're a really good player, if you're one of the best two players on a team for over five years, like, you're in. So anyway, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't. I oh, so let's, let's ask this, Eric Bledsoe's convinced Kyle Lowry's yeah, Hall of Famer. That yeah. is very true. And, and based on the way he's played, we see why. Hey, what are you guys' closing thoughts in terms of like what we've seen here and whether you really think it's going to change the series? Because like the Bucks are seven point favorites heading back home. I think I saw today the Raptors are still plus 225 to win this series, which is like a pretty significant underdog considering what's happened over these last two games. I don't think that this is like a Cleveland situation where Toronto tied the series and everyone knew that they were going to get waxed. I think that they have a hope in this one. But like, what do you think is most sustainable? Because the only thing that scares me right now is like nurse seeing those three man bench units and then going back to them too much and maybe relying a little too heavily. And also like, I don't know what the hell is going on with Pascal Siakam. I think he's a little shook. I think he's got a little bit of the Fred yips and, and we've probably under discussed a little bit, but the fact that like he had one field goal attempt and he racks up those three fouls, he's missing rebounds. I know he's tired and it's a brutal matchup for sure, him. Like it is, but the best players in the league played the, like Kawhi Leonard's play facing double teams from Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon. Like it's not exactly like his matchup is terrible, but I think to me, this is just Pascal Siakam had a great breakout year. He's the most yeah. improved player. He arguably should have made the all-star team. And I think he will next year but he is not that level of star yet he's not a superstar he's not the kind of guy that's going to carry a team to the NBA finals and I think look the longer the playoffs go the more players get exposed right and by the time you get to the conference finals a guy like Pascal Siakam is going to get exposed in a lot of areas because he's just not there yet as you know the secondary option on a team with championship aspirations at least I don't think so. No, also, I not. think his game three was better than most people. Oh, yeah, what, 25 and 11? For? Yeah. No, his and, game three was solid. And so it's not like his entire series has been a wash. He's also being guarded by exactly. arguably the best defender yeah. in the league. Yeah. Like, it, for me, it's like Giannis, it, Embiid, and Gobert, right? And uh, Draymond when he feels like it, and Kawhi when he's able to lift both legs. Like Those are the guys who are on another level, and he's being guarded by one which is going to impact him 
offensively, but I also think it's impacted Giannis offensively. And my takeaway uh, as we kind of go around the table is what's Giannis's offense going to be in the first two games, average 27 points, only had nine turnovers in the next two games, average 18.5 points and had 12 turnovers. And if they can continue to afford to have Kawhi guard him and do such a good job of keeping him out of the lane in transition, specifically done such a better job of getting back, getting numbers back in transition and stopping the ball. You know, he got off early in game four, but overall he's been pretty frustrated. I think as the series goes on, he's not like he can shoot himself out of a slump like Steph Curry can. He needs to get to the rim. And if there's no ability to do it, his ability to impact the game offensively really is not there at this point because he's not a great passer at this point either. To me, the biggest key is what they do defensively or continue to do defensively with Giannis. And, and if Kawhi physically is able to continue to do it. That's my takeaway as well. If Kawhi you know, is even at 80% for these last two or three games and continues to be Giannis's primary defender, which obviously he's going to be, then I truly believe the series has turned because I don't think, again, it so much just depends on Kawhi's health, which we don't really know, but I don't think the Bucks have a chance to do to Kawhi Leonard what Kawhi and the Raptors can do to Giannis, and that just kind of brings to the forefront the value of shooting I'm with when, you guys. when you're a superstar. I'm with you guys because I don't even think this is a hot take. Donovan, if you're saying like what Kawhi Leonard has left to offer, and if you're saying the 80%, I'm using as much of the Kawhi Leonard I have left to offer defensively on Giannis Antetokounmpo and making sure that he does still eat those possessions. Because what we do know is it's a small sample size, but it appears that Kawhi Leonard does a better job against Giannis Antetokounmpo than anybody else in the NBA. And it affords the Raptors so much like that Bucks half-court offense does not look good. And it has not looked good since Kawhi started guarding Giannis. And what you saw in these last two games is that the Raptors have the offensive firepower to hang with that group when Giannis is limited to the player that he is. Like, let's not forget that Chris Middleton had a 30-point game last night and that he was red hot. He had what is going to be his best game in the series. I think that Marc Gasol, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, this version of Norm Powell, a little bit of shot-making from Serge, a little bit of shot-making from Fred Van Vliet, can hang with Malcolm Brogdon, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, and this version of him. And that less Kawhi Leonard on offense seems to be the key to beating this Bucks team. And more on defense is the way that they have to go moving forward. This is the other thing that we do know. There's going to be game six. That there's going to be another game at home in Toronto. And that game is going to be on sports night. And I will ask you, fine gentlemen, for your predictions on whether or not there's going to be a seventh game. Or if it's going to end in six. And if it does end in six, which way it'll be going. But before we do that, as I mentioned, this weekend, sports net. Make sure you're watching the coverage. I'm going to be on Instagram with Faisal Kamisa promoting all of our coverage. We've got the game on Sportsnet at Sportsnet 1. But listen, weekend happens. You've got plans. Might not be able to watch it from your TV. i got a hookup for you. Sportsnet now. I always tell you, sign up. Oh, you get 300 NHL games for just $19.99 a month. Or you get 500 NHL games for $27.99 a month. Listen, our bosses aren't listening, so this is just me and you talking. For $9.99 you can just get a seven-day pass. Listen, you don't know if you want to be all in. I get it. The Raptors at this time next week could be in the NBA Finals. You want to make sure you see all of the coverage? Just go $9.99 right now. Just try it. Listen, if we have your credit card and you don't unsubscribe, you may or may not get charged again, but don't worry about that. (laughs) $9.99, we've got you covered. Takes care of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the beginning of it, the Finals, and potentially the Raptors two wins away for the NBA Finals. So before... Game six, back in the six on Sportsnet. 
Make sure you get Sportsnet now so you can watch wherever you are. Told you guys. Is it six? Is it seven? And who's winning? Go ahead. So uh, I said Bucks and seven at the beginning. I think I'm going Raps and seven now. Okay. But here's true story. I've actually got one of my best friend's weddings on Saturday. Oh, boy. So after years of growing up, you know, a diehard Raptors fan, being mm-hmm. a Raptors season seat holder with my dad, now being in the media and being at all these games and witnessing everything, I'm convinced it's now going to be Raptors and six because I'm convinced I'm going to miss the game when the Raptors finally clinch a finals berth. You don't have to miss it. Sportsnet now plus, I'm telling you. Yeah, but uh, you're in the wedding party. It's one of your best friends. And if he's a true friend, he'd understand. Is there a head table? How are we doing this? No, I'm not head table. Okay, so you, you can watch from your table. Oh, I'm going to watch from my so, table. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, you're so I just mean I'm not going to be at the arena. You're, Here's yes, what you're but you're going to be the guy that everyone at the wedding loves because they're going to come to you. Oh, man, what's the score? Yeah. I don't know. I hate the prediction game. I really do because I don't want to get caught up in feeling overconfident about the Raptors and what we've seen in the last couple of games. I think the Raptors' ceiling as a team is higher. Like, I, I really do. I think the Raptors at their best have shown through three games that they can force the kind of game that they want to play. And if we see that again to start game five, I think the Raptors are going to be able to wrap this thing up in six games. And I think that they can end up going the gentleman's sweep on the way out or what do you call that? The, the spare sweep, I guess, where they just win four games in a row at some point in the series. Like, I think that's very much on the table. If it goes to seven, I'm worried. But if it's the next two, I think Raptors and six is, is a possibility. I said Raptors and seven before, although I feel like Raptors and six is in play. There's such a huge swing when you go from city to city. Remember when the Raptors were 2-1 down mm-hmm. in Philly? Nick Nurse told the team, listen, we've been in a worse situation talking to his team about the situation they were in down 2-0 with the Bucks because they were down 2-1 on the road in Philly. I think this Bucks team gets energy going back home. What I do think is they get tight in a game seven at home because there's much more pressure on them than there is Raptors this Raptors group. In one. I think the Raptors win in seven on the road. Who knows? By the time we record this podcast, my thoughts could be very, very different. One thing I will not believe is that Kyle Lowry is a Hall of Famer without a championship ring. You couldn't go out. So, with go, just, so go get those six wins, nice Kyle, because I'm voting for you. Yeah. He has a beautiful family. He's yeah. a great person. Uh, yeah. I, I respect his basketball. You sound, you sound like Stephen A. a yeah. now. Yeah. Friend of mine. Yeah, friend Love yeah. Yeah. But Stephen right. A. Stephen A. Who was, in, who was in the building. Thanks for, to Christian for, for recording this bad boy and for producing. Yeah, this has been awesome. This has been free association. Hey, you want to try Joe's last name quick before we go? You got it? Kasharo. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Nice one. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, review, tweet, share. Do all those things. See ya.